As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterfall slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, exclusive Q&As with The Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today. Go to theathletic.com forward slash leak show. Manager got the sack for Christmas, cliche, tick, thanks Watford. Meanwhile, Swansea act like a detective on an 80s ITV cop show and ditch their dodgy grass. And keepers, jeepers. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Hello gang, sorry about the crappy Christmas we're all about to endure. Allow us to take your mind off it for a while as we talk all things EFL in this, our final show before Christmas. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined by the Swindon Town Hall of Famer Sam Parkin. Hi Sam. All right, Matt. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, Adrian Clark used to terrorise fullbacks these days. He offers first-class analysis and second-rate betting tips. Hi, Clarky. <laughs> on this podcast, second-rate, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I save on my best ones. No, not really. Sorry. Wow, OK. Deep. <laughs> <laughs> also with us, a big welcome back to broadcaster, writer and Ostersund coach, David Priest. Hi, David. How are you doing? Yeah, really good, thanks. Um, we did worry that we'd booked you on the wrong week after Sunderland's next three games fell victim <laughs> of the Rona. Um, good, therefore, of a whole bunch of EFL keepers making the headlines this week, maybe for the wrong reasons. You're here to defend them, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but it has been a, probably a good week to have me on to, to discuss those, I think. Yeah, goalkeeping howlers prevalent this past weekend. Howlers, by the way, like a judged, one of those words that are only ever used in the context of a football match. Uh, We're going to focus on the positives for a little bit, though, as we bring you... David Priest's top three EFL goalies. It is, as producer Abby has called it, a Ron Seal of a feature. Um, We did this with David last year, then it was five keepers and only championships, so it's a totally different thing. Uh, back then, your top five, David, Bree Samba and Brad Collins joined fourth, David Ray a third, Darren Randolph second. Can you remember who was number one? It's uh, another goalie who's now in the Premier League like Randolph. Oh, you know, I have no idea. Sam Johnson. Yes, he's got it, it for yeah, the steal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good memory. Just goes to show you how quickly things can change. Um, let's have your, your top three as of December 2020 then, David. You've done one per league. So who have you got first, please, David? Yeah, it's, it's a bit like last time because I think rather than the the best keepers, it was more of a special mention, really. And um, and one keeper who surprised me this season simply because it was, I think it's his first full season, really, Freddie Woodman at Swansea. I think I saw a lot of them playing for the England under-21s and, and playing for Newcastle under-23s. And he was somebody who was like, I always thought it was a little bit more style over substance, and it was really interesting to, to see him getting to get some first team action. But this year, um, I think he's done really well. Um, you know, he has got a, a brilliant uh, distribution technique, and you know, people talk about physicality and presence in in goal, and I just think that he was maybe he's lacking that a little bit, and whether that was just immaturity, that was something that, that could come on in his game, and he, and he certainly gained that with experience with, with Swansea. 
Yeah, he's got a good coach, hasn't he? Martin Margotson down there at Swansea, my old mate from South End, obviously the England goalie coach as well. Can I just ask about a sort of golden oldie, Asmir Begovic? Has he surprised you? I was looking at some of the stats. I think he's got the best save ratio for whatever that's worth in the division, over 81%. He's having a blinder. Yeah, and and also a lot of clean sheets this season. I think probably, you know, when we talk about clean sheets, you've got to talk about defensive structures and now people play in front of him. Of course, that's a big help as well. And I think he's been very well protected this season. I think it was a big surprise to me that he, he actually went back there in the in the first place. But um, it certainly brings a lot of experience to, to Bournemouth. And in a season when... When teams come down, you want consistency, you want um, you want solidity, and he certainly gives them that. Uh, who's your next pick then, David? Uh, next pick is somebody who I managed to to see last weekend uh, when the when Lincoln played Sunderland, and it was Alex Palmer for Lincoln. Ten again, you know, talk about clean sheets again. T- ten clean sheets, um, which is impressive. Fifty five percent of his of his game so far. Real, uh, he's got a top save ratio as well, like we talked about with uh, with Begovic in that division. And he's just somebody who, um, again, not a great deal of experience, but coming into a side that weren't expected to, to do really well this season. They've surprised everybody. And uh, I was impressed with the, his, his whole performance, even though they, they lost 4-0. I think it was a game that could, up until the penalty incident in the first half, you know, Lincoln could have been 2-0 up. Uh, and there's not much he could have done with the with the goals as well, but you know even then you can you can still see the qualities in a, in a goalkeeper, and he certainly didn't let affect his performance at all. All right, and how about your final selection? Well, the final selection I've I've gone for uh, Vaclav uh, Ladki at um, at Salford. I watched a little bit of him when he went to to Saint Mirren and another goalkeeping course there, Jamie Langfield, and he was very impressed with him. And um, I think he's been brilliant this season so far for them. Really strong in 1v1 situations. Again, his distribution, really good as well. Uh, and it's not always easy in, in those divisions when, you know, different questions are asked of you and, you know, you're playing on some difficult surfaces as well, even in this day and age. And, uh, yeah, I've been really impressed with him this season. Um, David, have you got a favourite goalkeeper cliche? We heard quite a few of them this week. I mean, he'll be disappointed with that. Seem to seem to crop up quite a lot. <laughs> Well, it used to be a real bugbear of mine, but now it's become it's become that much of a cliche that I quite like it. It's that he should have done better there. should have done better. There was, there was, I mean, I know this is this is a football league show, but yesterday when David uh, David de Gea he got a slight fingertip to uh, to one of the league goals yesterday, and it was kind of like, yeah, his hand's not strong enough. Like he got like a, the, the his fingernail to it. You know, it's ridiculous that the the blame that's tried to put on goalkeepers, even when there's nothing there to be hard like. <laughs> Can I ask a really, really important question, Dave? Um, is it chocolate wrist or poppadom wrist? I've, I've always gone down the chocolate route, but I just feel that poppadom is, is maybe more appropriate. I think that's that was Gary Neville trying to be a little bit more creative on the old chocolate wrists uh, <laughs> scene. But yeah, yeah, it's... it's ugh. I hate that one as well, you know. It just sometimes there's nothing you can do about goals when they just, you know, no matter how much of a hand you get on them, but sometimes you've got to take that on the chin. Yeah, it's got to be popped on because, like, especially at this time of year, a lot of the chocolate that you get comes quite big, so it's hard, like a Toblerone. Actually, actually, quite difficult. <laughs> well, to well the thing, the thing is, I always put my chocolate in the fridge or even in the freezer sometimes. Yeah. So freezer. Oh, Toblerone in the freezer just sort of melts in your mouth. That yes, hundred percent incredible. Oh, that's incredible. Um, I'm I'm sort of tempted to try it. I'm sort of disgusted by that as well. Uh, anyway, by the way, football cliches are your thing. We've got a podcast all about it. It's the Football Cliches Podcast. Find it on The Athletic or wherever you get your pods. Okay, let's championship. Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh... Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus 4 Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, it's in plus begambleaware.org. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Championship headlines, Watford sack Vladimir Ivic following the Hornets 2-0 defeat at Huddersfield. Zisko Munoth is their new man, more on that shortly. In East Anglia, table-topping Norwich beat Cardiff 2-0. Timu Puki scoring just hours after he became a father for the second time. That's right, Timu Puki's baby. It's probably their best work, the base bros, actually. Um, certainly up there. Anyway, Tony Pulis and his Sheffield Wednesday off and running after they earned their first win under their newish gaffer in their first in over a year at home at 3pm. Uh, elsewhere, positive news for Stokes' Joe Allen, who's set to play for the under-23s on Monday evening after nine months out. And we have our winner for worst pitch of the weekend. Swansea's surface dug up and ditched following their win over Barnsley. Let's start with the festive story of the weekend. Vladimir Ivic sacked by Watford despite the fact they've only lost one of their last four games. It means they're looking for their fifth manager in just over a year. Here to tell us what's going on, it's the Athletics Watford correspondent, Adam Leventhal. Uh, Adam, you wrote about Ivic's sacking for the Athletic. As well as being the Watford correspondent, you're also a Hornet supporter. What, what was your initial reaction as a fan when you heard the news? <laughs> it's it, it's a difficult one because I think I'm well aware as a, as a supporter that the view of Watford over the last couple of years was initially I think wow they're doing things differently and this is uh, this is working out well and more recently I think uh, people have started to sort of take the Mickey a little bit because it does look a little bit farcical from the outside looking in. Thankfully, you know, in my job, able to sort of dig a little bit deeper and maybe try and get a little bit more perspective on things rather than just uh, sort of having a, a fan's head on on uh, what has been going on. So I think I'm probably, or hopefully, able to sort of keep my sanity a little bit, <laughs> a little bit because because I sort of look at it as in depth as I as I can and and maybe find things out and, and try try and sort of paint a bit of a broader picture. But yeah, I can understand it's um it doesn't look the, doesn't look the best, does it? All right, we'll, we'll try and test that sanity a little bit. Um, <laughs> what, what what was the catalyst behind this particular dismissal then? Because you know, outside looking in, twenty games gone, fifth in the table, not looking too bad. No, I think I think that's I think that's right. I think um, I think it's basically been a bit of a slow burn for Vladimir Ivic and the way that the hierarchy have uh, perceived how he's been doing. I think initially they felt that he dealt with a very difficult scenario after relegation with with great integrity. So I thought that they felt that he was he was doing a good job and yes the points were were ticking along but unfortunately the football wasn't wasn't the best. And maybe he was sort of over overcomplicating things a little bit, you know, playing a, a possession-based game in the championship is is maybe just a bit unnecessary, especially when you've got a, a decent group of players with some with some decent attacking players in there as well, like you know Ken Semmer on the left-hand side, Ishmael Assar on the right-hand side, and I think on the whole, the the attacking prowess of the team it's not been great, but it's been sort of um, pulled back. And they, I think the, the hierarchy were thinking that we need to take the handbrake off here and kick on and, you know, show what this Watford side can do in a level below the Premier League. Because, you know, a lot of those players have remained from the Premier League and, and they should be just, I think, taking the game to the opposition a little bit more. So I think that that was the overriding thing. You know, in the current climate that we're in, maybe just having a little bit more fun when we're playing football and just bringing a little bit more joy into the game, I think is um, is probably what they were thinking. And that's that's basically the background to to why they brought in um, Cisco, Cisco Munoz, who is the, who's the, the new man in charge. Certainly, Adam, I've got to ask this. Why Cisco? Cisco Munoz, um, 11 games as a manager in, in, in Georgian football. I've read with interest that he's got an attacking philosophy I mean, there are a lot of attacking coaches out there, out of work with considerable more experience. Is, is it, what's the connection here? Is it, is, is it an agent, agent-led appointment? Someone, you know, a regular contact of the owners? It, it, it seems a bit embarrassing, if I'm honest, for a club of Watford's stature to go for someone so, so unknown. Well, you know what the athletics like, so I've been sort of digging into the into the background and going as deep as I can. Um, and I, it's actually a piece I'm you're, you're rudely interrupting me right <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> I'm only joking, um, but basically I've sort of been speaking to various people that know him very very well. I mean, to answer the, the first part of your question, he does actually share an agent with Javi Gracia, who was 
obviously previously in charge at Watford. So I think that that is one of the links that is there. I think Gino Pozzo always keeps tabs on, you know, a whole load of coaches who are having success at whatever level all around the world. And yes, he doesn't seem to be the the obvious choice, but I think that they're, they're, the main thing that they wanted was a, a young coach and someone who can motivate a team. He's 40 years old. And from everyone that I've spoken to, from the, the captain at D, uh, Dinamo Tbilisi to uh, Rafa Benitez, who he played under when he was at Valencia, what comes across is that he is he's a really he's a good guy. He's a he's a player's manager. Um, he sort of seems to be on their level rather than being a sort of you know a, a, a me and us sort of situation, which seemed to manifest itself with with Vladimir Ivic. He's he's positive. It, look, we'll we'll only find out when we start to see his team flow, and it's going to be difficult because you know it's even more difficult than than Vladimir Ivic faced because he's got no preseason. He's coming slap bang into the middle of a, a very busy championship campaign. But I think they will be thinking, look, if he can come in, you know, be less of a fun sponge and be more of a motivator, then you know maybe this that's what the players need. But you know, we have been in this situation before. We they've made you know. Brutal changes, ruthless changes before. Sometimes it's worked, but more often than not in recent history, it hasn't had the desired effect. Troy Deeney, he's been on the radio this morning discussing Mm. certain aspects of of the dismissal of Ivic. Has he got too much power at Watford? (laughs) He's got quite a loud voice. Uh, I'll, I'll say that uh, he's got he's got a platform as well, and, and that is something that is um, you know a, a challenging subplot to the season, but it shouldn't be a, a destructive element in terms of what he's what he's saying. I think some of the things that he said about you know uh, you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever want to be a manager because at Watford because you know it might end up that I'm going to get sacked in five months' time. I don't think that that's the sort of thing that he should be saying, especially after the club has um you know backed him to the hilt with releasing that rather bizarre statement sort of you know pinning their colours to the mast and backing Dini rather than rather than Ivic. But I think basically what he needs to concentrate on, although we will continue to hear from him at uh, talk sport and you know in the sun and all that sort of things, is just to concentrate on on doing it on the pitch and it, it can be a good thing to have a captain that has got you know your players, backs you know he, he he wants he wants the best for the football club and he wants to get back into the Premier League because that will not only be good for the club it will be good for his ego let's be brutal about it you know he, he wants to be a Premier League striker rather than one in the championship and it'll be good for the bank balance it'll be good for everything around it as well so you know if he can if he can you know play as good a game as he's talking off the field at the moment then then everyone will be happy. Good stuff. Adam, always like to finish with a, with a serious question before we let you go. Um, I, I knew you first as a hugely successful house DJ on the Nottingham Trent <laughs> University radio station Fly FM. I just wondered if you could tell us what's your, what's your biggest house banger of 2020? What should we be listening to? <laughs> Oh God! I've left that. I've left that all behind. Um, great, 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 great. Uh, yeah, retro. Yeah, that's that's it. That is a that's a, that has knocked me out of uh, of my of my stride. Let's have a think. Obviously, in the current climate that we're in, I've got my bike set up at home and I do the Zwifting and all that sort of stuff. And I have my headphones on and I I just put on whatever's uh, the latest playlist so I listen to a lot but I don't necessarily know what the uh, the names of the tracks are anymore but um yeah I'm 41 now so I can't really uh, try and try and be try and be too cool but I, I I still try and channel some of my my old school sort of uh trendiness when I can Excellent. but the yeah. fact that I'm saying trendy is probably I was just, just thinking that. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> we're all going that should... way unfortunately yeah <laughs> <laughs> great stuff Adam thank you so much uh, have a good Christmas we'll speak to you again soon hopefully Yeah, all the best to all of you. Take care. Adam Leventhal, Watford correspondent and former house music aficionado there. Uh, Let's get a short thought next on Norwich, who topped the table at Christmas after their 2-0 win over Cardiff at the weekend. David, keen to get your thoughts on this. It's something we've we've discussed a couple of times. We saw Emi Buendia here lighting it up. Him and and Todd Campwell, are they still going to be Canaries come the end of Jan? Are they kind of classic Norwich players who look great in the Championship and, and they're maybe not so good in the Premier League, or do you reckon they'll be interested? 
Yeah, I mean, there'll definitely be interest. Just interesting to listen to um, to Daniel Farker's interview after the game, saying that he doesn't think that anybody believe, and if it's up to him, there'll be nobody leaving unless Real Madrid coming for either of them, which uh, obviously is unlikely. But I, I understand what he's saying there. If it's an offer they can't refuse, then obviously they'll have to think about it. But I know they've missed them a few games through injury this season as well, but they're just so important to, to what they do. You know, those two and uh, Timo Pugge up front, just think they're brilliant. Both of them coming inside off the wings um, and, and joining play. And they've got a good mixture there. You know, they, they, they haven't just got the... Um, they're not just flair players, you know. They, they, especially Buendia, he works so hard. You see him on the uh, on counter-attacks, he's just break, bursting to get forward. And obviously he's got that quality as well, him and Cantwell, you know, they seem to complement each other really well with uh, with, with Pookie up front. So it's um, it'll be a real challenge for them to, to hold on to them. But of course we know that this January, it's not the same as every other January. You know, there's not a great deal of business be normally done in uh, in this period or not a lot of good business anyway. And I think we'll probably even see less because of the the conditions around the, the financial landscape. But um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see if they can hold on to them. Uh, Sam, you were at the Brentford Community Stadium on Saturday. You even got to do some commentary for a little bit until the Prime Minister interrupted you. Uh, it looked as though Brentford were, were fully deserving of the points in their 3-1 win against Reading. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, Brentford blew them away in the first half in third gear, I would say. Um, I was really surprised that Reading set up and you have to caveat it with them missing Mate and, and Jao and also... The left back, Omar Richards at the weekend, it meant Estevez, the right back, had to play on the left side and should have done better for both of Mbomo's goals because he allowed him onto that wonderful left foot. But they played 4-3-3, Reading, I say 4-3-3, they played with Elise as a false nine for the first half an hour and they found themselves three goals behind. So I felt that it was a great opportunity to go after Brentford. We've seen the success Preston have had, Blackburn, didn't play a centre forward. Played Samedo in the midfield. He's been playing as a 10. I just thought they looked, they looked like rabbits in the headlights. They looked like they turned up at Brentford. They knew what they had in their armoury and set the stall out not to get beaten. And I just don't think that's the way you go against this Brentford side. I think you have a go and I think there can be deficiencies. So he changed it, ripped it up. And I think on reflection, he held his hands up, Paunovic, at the end of the game and said that he got that wrong. But obviously... By then the game was up, went 4-2-3-1 second half, Aluko came on as a 10 and the lads will have been there when you've been battered in the first half and then the urgency and the aggression and everything that you need away from home against the top side was there in abundance in the second half. So funny breed footballers, sometimes it just takes 15 minutes of getting shouted at and a few things getting chucked and the contrast can be enormous but... To answer your question, Matt, yeah, it was it was a very good attacking display from Brentford, but third gear really they'll have tougher tests ahead. Sam, just just watching the game uh, sort of on the TV, it, maybe you have a different perspective being there live, but it also is as bad as Redden were in that first half. Brentford were good, and some of the passing moves, especially when leading up to the goals, mm. it just looked like Redden couldn't get near them really. Yeah, yeah, I think there's that there was that as well. The the third goal, obviously encapsulated everything that's been good about Brentford, the one-touch movement. I think important to get other players back to the level they were last year as well. And Bomo being one, who's only got one goal before that that double. De Silva back to the level and Jensen getting the other goal. I think Thomas Frank's spoken loads about the the onus on, on Tony so far to be the number one. So to get others chipping in with goals, really important. And the other thing I really enjoyed, which he got a lot of flack for actually after the Blackburn draw he made these substitutes too early and it backfired he took off his big hitters against Blackburn did exactly the same at the weekend actually he took off De Silva and Mbomo when they were picking the ball out of the net from Aluko's goal so it was 2-1 3-1 sorry slightly under the cosh on a bit of a knife edge did the same again Rico Henry had already been taken off took off those two boys and were able to see the game out so I kind of admire that um, single-mindedness He's doing it his way, and on the uh, the weekend it paid off. Clark, is this peak Brentford now? Same same levels as they were last season? Do you think? Um, it's a slightly different Brentford. Um, I noticed in this game they had less of the ball than, than Reading, whereas you know they've looked to overwhelm teams on occasion. 
last season. Yeah, I, look, they're a quality outfit. I love that third goal. Great move. And uh, I just think the standout for me for Brentford this season, apart from this long unbeaten run, which is really impressive given injuries and suspensions, particularly at the back. Pinnock is suspended, isn't he? And Janssen's been out for a while. They've, they've managed to, to, to grind out draws when they're not playing so well and, and victories without, without losing. Uh, but the standout for me has is, is, been the finishing. I think they've scored some unbelievably good goals. And, and that's, that's obviously down to, to the talent that they've got available to them. So, yeah, look, they're in the shake-up for sure. But I think to get automatic, they're going to have to produce this kind of level on home turf more often. Their better performances have been away from the new stadium. If this is going to be the new normal, they've got a great chance. Uh, our last stop on the Championship fun bus, St Andrews, where Aitor Karanka lost the Aitor Karanka derby. Uh, his current charge is Birmingham, battered at home by Borough. He's got another Karanka derby coming up at Forest on Boxing Day. Uh, by the way, head to The Athletic for a big read about what it's like in the Middlesbrough camp now. Michael Walker's been following them for the last six weeks. Um, David, was this a, a tale of two keepers, this game? Bettinelli good, Etheridge unusually shaky. Yeah, I mean, to start off positively, I've been really surprised by uh, by Bettinelli, Mottis Bettinelli. Um, I'm surprised that he went to Bury in the first place. You know, he, he didn't really feel like a Neil Warner goalkeeper, you know, and, and I think that when, when Fulham got promoted to the Premier League last season, uh, the season before last, you just felt that he was just a little bit uh, below that level. Of course, they had a really troublesome time with goalkeepers that season. But um, he's done really well this season. Again, you know, clean sheets and he looks a lot more confident. And he's come, really, come back from uh, from that setback really well. But yeah, Neil Etheridge, normally a reliable goalkeeper. And you probably have to put three three of the four goals down to him as well. Especially, uh, was it the second goal or the third goal from the direct from a corner? You know, it's a, the simplest of collections from a cross and he allows it to go through his hands at the net. But other two goals he wouldn't have been happy with, didn't get close to it. The, uh, the fourth goal goes down, he's diving backwards, which is a cardinal sin in goalkeeping, which allows the ball just to deflect into the goal. And sometimes when you have days like that, yeah, you can, you can brush him under the carpet. But for me, when the keeper makes that many mistakes late in the goals in games... It makes me wonder about mental preparation, what's happened to him that week during the game, what's maybe has affected him. And rather than just being, you know, oh, he's a bad he's a bad goalkeeper today. It really is a, a, the mental approach to a game. And a lot of goalkeepers, we, we see it up and down the leagues when they make mistakes, good goalkeepers don't let it get affected by that and by those mistakes. And, and they, they carry on with the game as normal. Whereas this game, you seem to be really affected by something and whether it was one mistake and it just led to others. Normally, like I said, he's a very reliable goalkeeper. So it leads me to think there's, that there was something else going on in his preparation that wasn't right. Sam, Adrian, interested to get your opinion on this as, as outfield players. Well, how, how did you used to respond if, if your goalie was chucking a couple in? We, we, Clarkie, I imagine you as kind of the, the arm round the shoulder, never mind, keeper, you'll get the next one. And <laughs> Sam, actually, I think you probably, well, you're quite a long way up the pitch, aren't you? So you can just swear under your breath and they won't hear you. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, catch, any, you wouldn't catch anyone sort of berating the goalie publicly there and then. I mean, that's, that's pretty rare. For that to for that to happen, no, you've got to. It's not in your interest, is it, to bury a keeper when when they've when they've just had a had a bit of a shocker. You've got to, you've got to try and try and boost them up a little bit. Really, that's that's the key. I mean, I was brutal behind some of their backs. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I did nickname one of our keepers the Polo Mint because uh, because <laughs> everything seemed to go through a hole in his body. But um, but yeah, um, no, to to their face is always lovely. I'll tell you what's clock, you'd be really surprised at how many managers still do that uh, at half-time or really sort of late to the goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. It, it, you're exactly right what you said about there's no point doing that at half-time. You know, it's not about getting, you know, the old-fashioned sort of hairdryer to get response out of them. Sometimes, you know, goalkeeping mentally can be a fragile situation to be in uh, and... There's no point doing that at half-time in my book. Uh, like I said, unfortunately, there's still some managers who, who think that's the right thing to do. But for me, it's always about building them up and then dealing with the, the mistakes afterwards. Going to sound like I'm sucking up to David here, but when I was playing, 
I didn't really feel it was my place to have a go, go at the goalkeeper if they'd let in a soft goal. That That's the honest truth. I'd never go after him. I loved sparring with him in training. Reese Evans was was one for me. I come through at Chelsea with him. Then he came to Swindon and me and him used to have murders. I used to love sticking one past him, chipping him and all that. And we had a great relationship on the training ground. He used to try and whack me every now and again. So that was good fun. But just at the tail end of my career, and I won't name names here, but I remember a few of the lads collectively going after our goalkeeper. Uh, he made a few mistakes in a previous season that had ended in the team getting relegated. I mean, he, he cost them a few points. They went after him and I felt really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable because, you know, it's the, the game has changed a lot now and I found it unusual and quite unsavoury and I'm sure it would have affected the individual. He's gone on and um, yeah, he went on and played a number of games at other clubs and, and did fine. And, the, and the, go- the goalkeeper was always backed by the manager publicly and in front of the players, which I think was important. Otherwise, his morale w- really would have been affected. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of t- I, think, I think a lot of time with uh, with with managers and, and goalkeepers, goalkeepers are naturally mentally strong. I know a lot of people, you know, um, can question goalkeepers' mentality and and say the weak. And obviously, some goalkeepers go through difficult periods. I've done it myself, but because of you're always going through little setbacks throughout your career. Not even in career, you've got to do it in training sessions where you maybe concede bad goals. And I think because he's such so strong mentally and a strong character, goalkeepers usually are, that managers think they can go after them a little bit more when really it's, yeah, that might be the case, but it's always, for me, it's always about positively and building people up. And I hear stories about Paul Lambert, where we used to handle Jason Steele at Blackburn. That was probably his, one of his best uh, sort of periods of his career. And he did make some big mistakes. But uh, players who played under him at that time, just saying that he was brilliant how he dealt with him. And he always made sure that he pr- in the week after a mistake, he'd always praise him you know, you know, overly sometimes. Uh, but it made sure that he, for the next game, he's better prepared and he wasn't on that downward slope where he's going to make more mistakes. Uh, just finally on this game, Clarkie, Borough find themselves in the playoff places. I feel like we haven't really mentioned them as promotion contenders much. No, I, I did quietly fancy them ahead of the season. I thought they'd, they'd be much, much better under Neil Warnock. He, he's, he's just so proven, isn't he, in terms of galvanising a group. He's got a lovely balanced team at the moment. Um, Marvin Johnson is, is providing terrific width, width down that left-hand side, sort of not converted him into a left winger, but he's pushed up from a wing-back role into into a fully-blown winger's position. Um, a somber longer in this game, just tireless in his running. George Savile, for me, is a really class player at this level, bursting forward from, from midfield. And, and he's finding a partnership at centre-half, isn't he, with McNair and Dale Fry. So, so yeah, I think he's he hasn't taken very long to build a very solid-looking Middlesbrough team I think now that they're in the shake-up you know there'll be ups and downs along the way but I don't see them falling out of the picture I think I think they're in with the shot here okay right let's get some odds courtesy of Paddy Power and producer Abby uh Abby you you've entitled this Christmas promotion odds which uh, I find interesting I it's assume Christmas it means she's gonna get I know but the, but you don't get promoted at Christmas do you so is it, is it well like... it's just Christmas you okay, just have to stick right. Christmas in front of everything. That's generally the rule of media at it's this time Christmas of year. It's not Christmas in London, is it, Abby? <laughs> I've got my Santa hat on. <laughs> uh, who's going to get promoted, according to the bookmaker Paddy Power, or are the show's principal sponsor? Uh, there are three teams who are odds on to get promoted. You'll be unsurprised to hear they are Norwich at four to eleven, Bournemouth four to nine, Brentford ten to eleven. Then it's Watford at twenty-one to ten, Swansea at eleven to four, and then Middlesbrough are nine to two. Crazy that Watford can be that price when they've got a manager who we literally know nothing about. Um, how about relegation? Presumably Forest aren't in the in the mix for that anymore. I've still got their odds down written down here. So uh, yeah, but no, they are not. It is Wickham who are one to sixteen favourites Wednesday, eight to eleven, and uh, Rotherham are evens. Uh, but you'll be glad to hear that Derby are slightly more likely to get relegated than Forest. Derby are five to two, Forest seven to two. 
All right, that makes me feel a bit better. What about the uh, the FL Cup quarterfinals coming up in the week? Brentford and Stoke, what are their chances against Premier League opposition? Yeah, so Brentford take on Newcastle. Brentford are the favourites in this one. They are 7-5, to five, Newcastle 15-8. to eight. Uh, Whereas Stoke, a slightly tough test against Spurs. They are 9-2 to two to win their game with Spurs 4-9 favourites. If you fancied an EFL double in the EFL Cup, that would give you 12-1. to one. Good stuff. All right, League One next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. League One headlines. Three matches due to be played this past weekend were called off because of coronavirus. As we mentioned, Sunderland had already had their next three games postponed. Lincoln, the only side in the top six going into the weekend to register a win. And Chad Evans has been ditched by Fleetwood after what Joey Barton described as discipline and behaviour issues. Who could possibly have seen that coming? Um, Given all these COVID postponements, producer Abby muses, should football have followed in rugby's footsteps and rather than trying to find yet more space in an already congested fixture list, enforce 3-0 losses to teams that are unable to fulfil some fixtures? Some teams have played 16 games, some 19. It's all going to get a little bit sticky. Um, Martin Daniels chipping in on that, asking, is it inevitable that League One will have to pause due to COVID. Um, Sam, do you feel like that there is going to have to be an alternative solution of some form offered up at some point if this continues? Quite possibly, yeah. I think conversations will be going on this morning because it seems to be quite rife, especially in, in League One at some of the the bigger clubs, uh, multiple games getting called off. So maybe some kind of two-week, three-week period to just reset because it's not only going to affect the, the, the players in their their bubbles, uh, will affect the staff, won't it, at the football clubs and then obviously the, the families as well, extended families, even though obviously the rules have changed. Um, players are still going to be going home to their nearest and dearest. So um, it's not going to be very helpful, is it, if there's a problem in football right now. So I would presume something's going to give. But um, the the... the the rules have been very grey, haven't they? Uh, I think throughout, we, I don't really know what constitutes a calling off even now. And we've been talking about it for, for months. They seem to have managed it pretty well. And I thought Danny Cowley was good on it at the weekend on, on Quest. You know, it has had such a positive impact, I'm sure. You know, just fans watching the iFollow uh, streams, been able to go to matches in recent weeks. And of course, it, it plays a massive part in this country, people's mental health and such like. So... They're going to have to be sure it's the right thing, but I agree, Matt, it does feel like something's going to give soon. Just going back to the Sunderland situation, I know that you know the the problems that they had there and obviously the, the game against Wimbledon, which should have really been called off. I think everyone's agreed on that. I think it's just a case of the EFL have to, they have to make sure that everyone knows what the protocol is and what the investigation entails because I know that in the, if they go into a club and investigate that any any small detail that hasn't hasn't been adhered to, then they will deem that a breach, and then they will they will go on to uh, to to give the the side who didn't call it off the the three nil win. You know, and it's 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 a shame to do that. I don't think they should be calling off games or give, handing out sort of um, the the defeats to to clubs who suffer from this because it's affecting everybody. You know, and I, I think if we're going to have any any, especially after last season, where you know where the season was finished early, and it was there was a lot of teams complained that the season wasn't finished, and there was teams that didn't want to finish, you know, like so Wickham, there was a lot of um, hoo ha around that. They have to have a sense of sort of justice around it, and it, it, the only just thing is to be able to play these games whenever they can take part, whenever they can manage to fit them in, and like I said, it's it's not just because there's one or two cases around, there's one or two clubs, it's affecting everybody. And to, like I said, it the, the, the seem for me there's a there needs to be a, a fairness around it to, to make sure that at the end of the season when things uh, uh, 
prizes and relegations are being dished out, that they have there has to be a sort of level playing field, and that people aren't you know given advantages over misfortunes that are, that can be bestowed on them, but simply by somebody getting ill. It's a it really is a strange situation for me that they're they're not taking a more cautious approach. For example, um, cancelling that game against uh, Sunderland against uh, Wimbledon. It's really difficult, isn't it, Adrian? Do, do you wonder maybe if kind of contractual obligations are, are almost superseding the priority of the the welfare of players and clubs at times? Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. And obviously, it was such a bad look, wasn't it, calling off last season. Big fallout from from you know deciding everything on points per game. I think there'll be a real determination to avoid that uh, at all costs again this time around. Look, I, th- I think the players will want to carry on playing though, even though they're the ones sort of you know picking up the virus, you know, uh, more than most, or, or it seems to be spreading quickly within dressing rooms. So I think players will still still want to play. Look, look last season. When were the playoffs? They were in August, was they? I can't remember. It, everything all blurs into one now. We've had precedence now. You know, the calendar is all, all over the place anyway. If we need an extra two or three weeks at the end of the season, let's just find it. Yeah, shouldn't be a problem, should it? In terms of certainly League One and League Two, you're not going to get players that should be going to the Euros or whatever, I guess. Uh, let's go on to some games that did happen. Burton won, Doncaster three, four wins on the spin for Darren Moore's team. They're, they're up to fourth. Uh, what do you think, Sam? Do you think that they, they're going to be there or thereabouts come the end of the season? Certainly looking good at the moment. Yeah, I've, I think he's he's had a bit of time, hasn't he? They had the the playoff campaign a couple of years ago when they were very much propelled into that position, probably by the goals of, of Marquis, some, some quality elsewhere. But um, I think there's a bit more of a spread in terms of the, the options and the goals going forward. Uh, Richards on loan from Brighton got a brilliant one at the weekend, and and Okunabiri showing that he's a really good deputy for John Jules, who's who's impressed in a Doncaster shirt. So again, using the, the the loan market really well. But I thought the most interesting point from the weekend, given that it was the fourth straight win, was that it was the fourth time that Andy Butler's appeared this season. He's played the last four games at centre half in for the injured right, and uh, they've taken twelve points. So. Just showing that there's still life in the very much the old dog yet, but yeah, they're a good side, and I I felt this was an opportunity for Darren Moore to make a few changes, and the players that stepped in uh, to some big shoes did really well. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I, I think that they've they've shown that they've found a way to to win different types of games recently. You know, they've had to be patient to break teams down. They've won matches on the counter, and they've and they've you know they've yeah they've just found a way to win. They've got good. Good forward players. And Sam's right to mention the low market. That does some great business. Taylor Richards from Brighton. Sims from Southampton. Smith from Man City. John Jules from Arsenal. And they also have Bursic from Stoke, remember, who had to go back uh, when when Stoke needed him. So, I mean, those are all really smart pieces of, of loan business from Darren Moore. So, yeah, I think they're, they're definitely in, in the mix. And they can obviously go top if they win in midweek. By contrast, David... Burton in, in real trouble and, and Jake Buxton, his first gig in, in management, it's not proving to be an easy one. Do you think they'll stick with him? It, it, well, it will be an interesting one. That I mean, even initially when they announced it, you thought that it was going to be a massive gamble. Um, you know, somebody who's not even experienced at management, experienced at, at coaching at every, any level. And I think that... I can, I can, from one point of view, I can, I can see what they were thinking. There was maybe some kind of continuity from uh, from Nigel Clough. They maybe be able to, you know, rather than bring somebody else in with different ideas, carry on what had been, what had been going on under under Nigel. But but again, it it just hasn't worked, has it? And I think that that inexperience has shown. And of course, there the, could be other factors involved in this. It could be a, a financial point of view where it's it's a cheap option as well, but. Well, you know, it's a false economy if they if they end up going down really, and it'll you know they've got to do something to change it now. I think zero clean sheets, Matt, for Burton. I mean, we're a long way into the season. That's you know that that, that says it all, really. Yeah, looks sticky for them. Not for Portsmouth though. Friday night lights at the KCOM. Pompey showing that clear eyes, full hearts can't lose as they beat Hull to supplant them at the top of the table. Callum Johnson summing it up nicely on Twitter. He said. 
Get in, two blue heart emojis. What a shift that was, gust of wind emoji. Have a good Christmas, everyone. Uh, word top with an arrow above it emoji. Christmas present emoji. Christmas tree emoji. Hashtag P-U-P at Pompey. Um, that's pretty much done it in terms of analysis of the game. Although, Sam, I noticed that Portsmouth won this 2-0 without having a shot on target in the match. That, that might be the most EFL stat that we've got this weekend. Yeah, even if a footballer can... Yeah, articulate a message like that with great shift. I think that basically says that it was a disgusting game. Which, um, <laughs> I didn't think it was particularly thrilling. Um, the first goal was a foul. I, I agree with Grant McCann because the defender who puts it into his own net has got a cut from Raggett's boot. Um, the second one's comical, McGuinness, but um, you're difficult to pinpoint why Hull City had such an off day and. I suppose, you know, Portsmouth have really impressed me. I, I go back to that midfield two of Cannon and Naylor. Um, I thought they were excellent. Again, what more missing the centre-half um, due to um, illness. Uh, Nikolaisen coming in to, to partner Raggett and I thought those two were absolutely brilliant defensively. So loads to like about Portsmouth and a surprise to read that. That's the first time they've been in the top two for 22 months, which took my breath away really considering the the powerhouses that they are in at League One level. But yeah, they're, they're going great now, just one defeat in nine and expect them really to to make it this year given what I've seen from them in the flesh when I've been at Fratton Park. Yeah, four four two is working well for them. The fans wanted more excitement. They're getting it. They're joint top scorers, even though this was a, a dull game. They are joint top scorers in the division and at the back, four clean sheets on the spin against good teams as well. Harlip, Switch, Fleetwood and Peterborough. So, and, and, and when you chuck in that midfield that Sam's talking about. What's not to like? Uh, always play to the final whistle. That's the message for Wimbledon after Crew grabbed the win at Plough Lane. 90 seconds after Wimbledon thought they got a draw. 2-1 to the visitors was the final score here. Um, Sam, Crew by far the most impressive of the promoted sides into League One this season. What, what's been key to their success, do you think? I think a really good brand of football. Brilliant young academy products who know each other's game inside out. There's that fearless about them. I think Manjon's been a really good focal point uh, as well. Um, I think there's there's loads to like about them. And at the weekend, it wasn't a, a brilliant game, but they always look the more likely team to go on and, and win it. So Wimbledon would be kicking themselves because having got a, a late equaliser, um, it happens, it happens, but I think you have to be very switched on that you've found the point from from somewhere you have to be resolute and you have to just wait for that final whistle and they they, they switched off but I think that just shows you the, the character of this young crew side um, some really good performances again and, and Finney not one of the players that we speak too often about it's normally Pickering and Kirk down the left hand side and Adrian's wax lyrical about Wintle I think various occasions but um, Finney popping up with a goal so yeah, it's um, a really good victory for them, but, but Wimbledon conceding far too many goals. I think the bigger picture is probably that Wimbledon are in the stadium safe and sound in League One. Um, they'll get better in time, but at the moment, the defensively, not good at all. Yeah, a C- couple of stats, Matt, for you. Uh, they've gone 1-0 up 12 times, Wimbledon, and won five. Five of those 12. I mean, that, that tells you that A, game management maybe could be better, but... But defensively, they're, they're not secure enough. Crew, by the way, are excellent in that regard. I was looking at, at their results and just one thing struck me. They very, very rarely concede more than one goal. They've conceded two or more goals three times this season, which is the best in the division. They they stay in games. So so even though we, we, we talk about these young players being you know good, neat and tidy technical footballers, they're actually a really disciplined team they don't let matches get away from them and I think for that reason they yeah they're, they're definitely going to be top half this season potential playoff I've been really impressed with crew especially with David Artel you know you know when he first took over the obviously the, the, the team struggled and they were close to going out of the league but the, the football that they play and you talk about the the, the defensive record there will Yaska line and obviously a name were really good goalkeeping heritage he's um He's a big part of that as well. He's great in the build-up. He's important in their in their build-up, and I just like the way that they when they're moving the ball about. You know, they 
they open up that space in between the, the full back and centre half by going wide and there's always a runner going into it like the, the first goal on Saturday and it's uh, and said before it's it's not an easy thing to do to try and play uh, good football um, at that level but they're certainly going about it the right way and I, I really like the way they play really like it you're looking good so far. Um, let's get some promotion odds from League One, Abby. Pretty tight at the top. What about Crew? Where are they at the moment? Um, yeah, if you fancy Crew getting promoted, they're seventeen to two. As for the favourites, though, it is Portsmouth who are eight to eleven. Hull are evens. Sunderland are seventeen to ten, and uh, Lincoln twenty-one to ten. And uh, we've bigged up Doncaster. They are thirteen to five. Good stuff. All right, one more league to get to. It's League Two, obviously. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. League Two headlines. After Bradford and Barrow sacked their managers, both sides then celebrated unlikely wins over Cambridge and Cheltenham, respectively. Paul Hurst looks most likely to become Bradford manager, by the way. Uh, Forest Green are up to second after their 1-0 win over Carlisle. Daryl Clark used his subs wisely, making four at half-time for Walsall in their 4-3 win over Port Vale. And despite losing, Newport remained top for Christmas. Uh, let's start with the aforementioned FGR. 1-0 win for them over Carlisle. Uh, Sam, you don't like FGR's kit. Do you like the way they play in it? Yeah, I do. Um, I know Mark Cooper well. It's the team that's got the most average possession in the, in the division. Added set pieces to their armoury this year, I would say. Second most to uh, to Port Vale. They scored, scored from nine. And Jamil Matt is someone that I've... Uh, been bigging up, I think. I thought that was one of the signings of the the season at League Two level. He's got himself nine already. I think his his best season was fourteen for Newport in eighteen nineteen, and I could see him emulating that. But I would say it's it's more of a Forest Green Rovers team that's built on solid foundation than I've seen in in the past because defensively very good. Goalkeeper Luke McGee's been been excellent and. Um, yeah, they conceded 15, Salford conceded 14, so um, they're the two best divi- uh, defences in the division. And I think that shows you where they've made improvements. So I think there's still more to come going forward from them. But considering they've been kind of the, I suppose, the, the bridesmaids a few times in the last few years, I think the fans will be excited that this could be their year. Uh, let's move on to Bolton nil, Tranmere 3. Bolton made a mountain out of a Keith Hill reunion as their old boss returned with Tranmere and left with three points and three goals. Clarkie, g- general feeling amongst Rovers supporters when he was appointed was was kind of, oh, this is a bit underwhelming. This kind of thing will help because results have been a bit spotty before this. Yeah, they're just, I don't know what to make of Tranmere really. They're, they're a strange team. They got hammered, didn't they, at Exeter. Were pretty poor against Walsall and then either side of that, they've won six. And, and some of those wins, like this one, were, were really handsome. So, so yeah, they're, they're a funny team. I think their strengths are definitely going forward compared to, to what they've got at the back. But no, let's let's give them give them a chance. I think slight slight worries for Bolton. That's that's what I would say here. I think they capitalise on a on a team that's that's in a pretty bad way defensively at the moment. Lost three of their last four. But they're a strange team, Bolton, because they they they've gone to Cheltenham and. And beaten them, yet in their last two home games, I think they lost six three and three nil. So it's hard to know what to make of of Bolton or Tranmere at the moment. Um, but based on the weekend, Tranmere is stronger. <laughs> I'm interested to get your take on this, David. Seeing as you currently work for a football club, Ian Everett now officially manager rather than head coach. This after Tobias Phoenix, who was the club's head of football operations, left. Bolton chair Sharon Britton said of Everett, the title of manager is now reflective of his position at the forefront of the football department. Uh, seems to have a big say on transfers. Uh, it, they basically, is this just getting rid of the other guy to save a few quid and then we'll give you a new job title and, you know, you can feel good about yourself? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's something that can be discussed with the managers. There's still some managers who want that side of it, who want to be in control of maybe it's not the negotiation side, but certainly the the recruitment and have more of a handle on that. So I think it's you know f- for me and and watching managers, you know, working under managers that it's easy for them to 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 want to not have to deal with all the the rubbish that goes on the negotiations the dealing with the agents it's a big weight off your shoulders if that doesn't happen um but i suppose i mean it's not like bolton are a, bolton are a big club for that level and they probably should should be looking at and uh, having like a director of football and there's somebody who's dealing with all that but um yeah, Especially it, it, when they're making about two thousand signings each summer, like, like, like last summer. You know, well, well, that's it. I mean, the, the manager, if the manager's going to concentrate on that, then he's you know he's he's, he's going to be uh, losing sight of what's happening on the pitch as well in the training pitch. But it is, um, yeah. Sometimes some managers just want that. It's just they want that control over uh, of what they do, and especially if they think that the person above them isn't doing that the, the job in in the way they want to or doesn't trust them to do a good job, then you're better off taking the reins yourself, of course. Okay, last stop for us today, Rodney Parade. Any excuse to say Rodney Parade. League leaders Newport suffered a defeat to away day specialist Oldham who stuck four past them to win 4-2. That after twice being behind. And Newport missed a penalty which would have made it 3-2 in their favour. Josh Sheehan, the designated penalty taker, decided not to take it, which annoyed Mike Flynn. Um, admittedly, that's not that difficult to do. He said, it's a bad day. I'm not going to try and dress over it. It was a bad, bad defensive display. Sounds bad. Um, from the other hand, though, Clark, we've had several chances to praise Harry Kuehl this season and we've always passed them up in favour of, of home and away puns. So so rectify that, please, you flaming galah. <laughs> right, they're, they're entertaining, aren't they? Oldham. I think we've got to label them the, the, the division's sort of one of the best teams to watch. Second most goals, worst defence. Um, averaging, I think their matches are averaging three and a half goals a game. Really good, but I have to say that that the Kewell, I looked at, I looked at who they signed in the summer through the list, and most of them are in the team at the moment, and most of them are flying. You look at look at the guys that really impressed at the weekend. Kaylor Dunn from Wrexham, he was brilliant in midfield. Macalini, who's been excellent from Fleetwood, Bahambula, unattached. Lawler, the keeper, who keeps saving penalties. They got him from Donny Blackwood from Adelaide, and McCalmont, who scored at the weekend from Leeds. So. That, yes, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're a patchy team, letting a lot of goals, but but I think they've they've signed some pretty good forward players. Clark, you, you've obviously seen Oldham probably more than I have, and you know Harry didn't have a great start. You know at Watford when he was under twenty three coach, and then at Crawley, uh, have you seen a big improvement in him this season? We you know where, it, so that would make the case for you know coaches being given more than just one or two chances you see a lot of especially big name managers you know dip the toe into management and just think it's oh, this is not for me or they, they never get another chance at the job you think it's a good case for for managers getting more than one well, or two chances he's in the process isn't he of resurrecting his reputation definitely I, th- I think I think until he can prove that that he can tighten up that defence I think there'll, there'll be that question that question mark um, but but yeah, he's 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 produced some some good attacking teams in, in league football, and yeah, he's, he's he's doing a sound job on on pretty pretty limited resources. I think he he, he wheeled and dealed well in the summer, and it's it's starting to 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 pay off now. Sam, do you think there's a bit of inverted snobbery when it comes to Kiel? Because you you look at it on the face of it and go, oh yeah, Harry Kiel played in the Champions League final, was a Premier League mainstay. You're going to have a go at League Two management, are you? But actually. Did okay at Crawley. Nazi was working for a buffoon of an owner, so he was behind the eight ball there. And he's doing all right this season. Were we maybe wrong to think that he wouldn't be able to cut it in, in the fourth tier? Yeah, quite quite possibly. I thought that was a very bold move at the at the time going up to, to Notts County, given everything that went with that gig. And he seemed to be um, doing pretty well at, at Crawley. But yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose the, the next challenge for him is going to be to make Oldham a bit more resolute defensively because it's um, the worst defence by some distance um, and they're, they're scoring goals for fun. So he's going to have to show if he's got different strings to his bow, I suppose. And he, he brought in, I think, I remember him bringing in a whole new back four and experienced players as well. We've got the Piergiani from, from, from Salford and Giambatti from from Wickham, just to name just two, uh, uh, Borthwick Jackson from, from United. So... 
he obviously looked to strength in that area and it's um it's not happening and it's not happening at Boundary Park either because their away record is I think the best in the division one of the last uh, five out of the last six so he's gonna have to turn around that form because uh, having played there uh, they will let him know in, in no uncertain terms if they don't start getting some results at Boundary Park. Abby, let's keep it simple, uh, League Two odds-wise, please. Who's the favourites for promotion? You'll be unsurprised to hear it is Newport County. They are eight to eleven to get promoted. Forest Green coming in second, five to six, and Carlisle ten to eleven. Then it's Cheltenham eleven to ten, Exeter seven to five, and Salford seventeen to ten. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. All right, that's just about it for this week. Before we go, though, as it's Christmas, I want your best uh, Christmas party stories, please. None this year for, for footballers up and down the land. Um, David, I'm saving yours to last because I'm told it's a doozy. Uh, Sam, I suspect you, you've got a, a fairly ribald anecdote as well. All mould into one, to be honest. Um, <laughs> used to be two, they're two day affairs, really. The Saturdays, your night out, and then your Sundays, sat normally in fancy dress in an old man boozer, uh, hearing the same jokes you've heard recycled over the last 20 years so I was more of a Saturday night man so I'll um I'll take you back to being a young professional at Chelsea I believe the establishment was Sugar Reef which was the gaff Oof. back in the day Oof. it was Sugar Reef <laughs> then Emporium that was the journey that was the piece de la resistance when you're a young player you know can I get in those two places it's a young professional so I was Dennis Wise Zola Viali they were all there so the night started with Ed DeHoy walking in wearing the worst pair of jeans and the trainers you used to use for pre-season running into Sugar Reef and the experienced players encouraging the young lads to chuck pennies at him. So we, we started <laughs> off the evening at that, this uh, multi-million pound goalkeeper, the hoy. And it ended with the walk, sorry, the middle. We walked from Sugar Reef to Emporium, which was into, I think, Mayfair, maybe a 15, 20-minute wander. Somehow, Slavisa Jekanovic got stuck with the young professionals. So we proceeded to play a long jump over the big industrial bins down an alleyway in Soho, landing in big piles of rubbish. And I don't think he played again after that, Slavisa. <laughs> he must have wondered what on earth he'd done to deserve this. Desai and Le Buff and all them were off swigging champagne and he was playing the long jump down some alley. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Clarkson, can you top that? Excuse me. Um, no, I don't think I can tell that. Look, yeah, some carnage. Most of it un, unrepeatable, really, down the years. Arsenal used to have a posh Christmas do at Park Lane in one of the fancy hotels, which was like the official do outside of what we'd normally do. And, and they got surprisingly raucous. I, I remember one year, um, it was early 90s, so there was a few of the lads were wearing white tuxedos and, um, and getting a bit leery. And, yeah, one of the first team tables... They, they started dipping these table decorations in red wine and flinging them across the tables. This is in a posh Park Lane hotel. And it just descended into, into a bit of a, you know, like a food fight, but with uh, red wine stained table decorations. And, and yeah, like Kevin Campbell, Ian Wright, people like that were just absolutely covered. It was, it was embarrassing, <laughs> but, but, but fun. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> Go on then, David, give us yours. Well... For mine, you would have to go all the way back in 1997, and it was a Christmas night out with uh, with Sunland, and it was it was none of these sort of like Premier League away to Dublin or away to Dubai dues. It was just it was when we could st footballers still went out in the town where they where they played, and we were out all day in Sunland, and it was all fancy dress. So I was one of the three Musketeers, and then um, yeah, so the three of us who were the three Musketeers, we were sort of at the back of the bar. And we were uh, probably doing a couple of shots or something. And then we heard a big commotion. As it turns out, one of our players, Richard Ord, his wife's ex-boyfriend started a, a bit of trouble. Anyway, it all kicked off. So we were the last to arrive. So we, we rush outside where there's a big green outside this pub. And it's mayhem, absolute carnage. It's like a, uh, it's like the Wild West, you know, like bar, barroom brawl, the Wild, Wild West. And we get there, and as if, like, we arrive, like, the three musketeers, as if we're going to sort all this out, like, you know. We're the last to arrive. And it was almost like everything stopped in slow motion. I just looked around, and you've got Kevin Balls hang, uh, standing over somebody, laying into them. 
and he's dressed as Madonna, by the way. So he's got a <laughs> he's got a blonde wig and uh, and a a short black dress on. He's <laughs> he's over somebody just giving them what for. And then Craig Russell, striker. Turn round, he's got a, a guy up against the wall by the scuff of the neck, and he's dressed as little Bo Peep. Big, <laughs> big blonde curly wig on, little blue and white checky dress on. You look lovely to be fair to him. Great legs, great legs for it. And then I swung round the other side, and then out of a taxi, just, leave, just leaving the taxi rank was Niall Quinn and Tony Corton. Now, at that time, Niall had a, a cruciate operation, and Tony Corton, uh, I think, had a triple fracture of, of, of one of his legs. So they were both on crutches. So they were like trying to make, I think they'd already in the taxi when everything kicked off and the taxi driver wouldn't let them out of the, uh, out of the taxi. So as the taxi driver was driving away, both of them are hanging out of either side of the taxi out of the window with their crutches, battering people over the head with their crutches. <laughs> and just to, add a, to top it all off, they were both dressed as monks. <laughs> so these little bald wigs on it was absolute mayhem and the the best thing about it was the next morning uh, Peter Reid had got a wind of it obviously it, it, was a, it was a massive thing and we were in for train the next day because the, the party I think the party was on a Wednesday or a Tuesday and we had a game on the Saturday so it was kind of run run the alcohol out of you sweat it out so we're in for a little run session the next day and Peter Reid called the big meeting he was like right he says uh, we've had the police down he says, I know exactly what's happened. The police have brought the CCTV footage down. He says, and I've gotten a video and I've been watching it on my video in this morning and everything went quiet and everything's, oh God, what's going to happen here? He went, I tell you what, I absolutely love it. Sticking up for each other, that's what I want. You'd be, always be behind each other. And then he just said, get yourselves out, sweat it out, and then get home. So he, he, he was proud of us. Brilliant. Sounds very much like the uh, Muddy Knees Media Christmas party last year. <laughs> right, we'll be back on the 30th of December, by which time, no doubt, all sorts of stuff will have gone down in the EFL. Until then, from David, Sam, Adrian, Abby and me, stay safe, have a nice Christmas if you're into it, and we'll catch up with you again soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hello. I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Muddy Knees Media.